church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, sorry, those who are victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Just a moment, because it's a relatively short message, just for you to read through that again, to, to kind of breathe it in to feed on it. 1 or 2 things that may be puzzling, 1 or 2 things that seem strange to our 21st century western ears. That's okay. Hope and pray in the next few minutes I can unpack and clarify some of these things so that God can speak to us so that we can feed on his word. We're a church here that values and appreciates and sits under the authority of the word of God. A lot of people in the world today, they have a lot of questions about God and they bring their question to the Bible and they thumb through and try and find the answer to their question and they don't see the answer to their question so they oh well, because my question is valid, therefore the Bible is invalid. It may be that perhaps we're just asking the wrong question. Although we need to allow the issue behind our question, which is valid, to be reframed in the context of what we know of Scripture. That's what we're looking to do here as Christians. We're bombarded. I think we get 3,000 messages a day. Adverts, pop-ups, boards, things we read, see, hear. We're preached at all the time and it isn't typically a world, biblical worldview. So what we do, this is why it's so crucial here. People sometimes say, why don't you sort of you know, talk from the sort of lead article of the Times or a decent book? Or we, we come to Scripture because we need to have our minds framed, shaped by what God says through Scripture so that we know what questions to ask. Side aside, I'm, not, I'm just wrestling right now with whether to carry on on this horse when you're, when you're preaching when I find when I'm preaching every now and then a horse rides by and I think shall I jump on it or shall I let it go uh, no actually I think I'm going to let it go but um, other than to say well the serious point is it isn't always popular it isn't always easy but we, we are seeking to have our minds transformed by what God reveals to us through Scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll notice I've learned that. I didn't have to look it up. That's what we do. We, 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 John was saying last week, 
We digest bits of scripture. We have it to mind so that that's what I'm doing. I'm inviting you now as we look at this letter to Smyrna. You think, oh, Smyrna? Is that some kind of drink? What is this? I've written some years ago. I don't understand. Synagogue of Satan, all these words. Oh, the Bible. Bible schmeibel. I'll sort of, I'll, I'll feed somewhere else. No. The tough bits and the bits we don't understand and the bits that trouble us and plague us. The bits that challenge us and point and poke at us and make us uncomfortable. We wrestle with it. So, Father, I need you, we need you, Lord, to, by your Spirit, bring insight, revelation, understanding, so that we might be equipped, Lord, we we feed so that we can go and do and be, we can live and work to your praise and glory as authentic Christians, people who leave an imprint, people where you, as Pat was saying earlier, you you, kind of come off us, that others taste and see that you are good. That's what we want, Lord. We don't want to, we want to leave this place changed. Please, Lord, may we not go out of this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Um, it's around about this time of year, you know, it's kind of dark, cold, February uh, time of year and do you, I don't know about you do you I just go into a little reverie about a, a holiday I might like to take uh, sort of just uh, picture it um, glistening sort of turquoise sea lovely sort of sandy beach and a little sort of seaside town beautiful little sort of villas uh, on the on the on the seafront and uh, maybe nestling in the in the sort of uh, just the foothills of a, a beautiful sort of mountain as clear blue sky and I go for a little wander through the streets and the back streets of the, uh, all the sort of uh, salesmen, the, the kind of the uh, shops and fairs and that kind of stuff, um, fruit stalls and it's just, it's just, you just sort of luxuriate in every element of this little idyll and if I've painted enough of a picture in your mind, I've actually described Smyrna back then. Uh, it's one of the churches just north of Ephesus and like Ephesus it was a thriving uh, city I think it's described as a city although it was smaller than Ephesus but it wasn't Ephesus was kind of industrial it was kind of seriously big and busy and Smyrna has that sort of beautiful kind of holiday feel to it but it was busy enough it was a prosperous port uh, and uh, wealthy the citizens there were wealthy they were well-to-do and uh, just well-placed in every sense. It was a good place to be and to live. And they were loyal there, the citizens, to the Roman Empire. They worshipped Caesar. Uh, and as a result, Smyrna, uh, like a number of towns, but certainly not all, was given freedom, certain freedoms. It was known as a free city under the Roman Empire. So here's the first puzzling thing that the angel should say to the Christians in Smyrna, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Because Smyrna as a city isn't afflicted. It's, it's privileged. And Smyrna as a city is not poor. It is in many respects wealthy, prosperous sea port, sea town. 
And yet the angel says to the Christians, I know your afflictions, I know your poverty. Why does he say that? And the reason is because these Christians in Smyrna are faithful to Jesus Christ. And they are sufficiently counter-cultural that they stand out. So they don't worship the emperor. Smyrna, by the way, was the, thought to be the home or the, the birthplace of Homer. And so there's a tradition of worshipping the kind of Greek gods. But they, these Christians don't worship the Greek gods. They don't worship any other god but Jesus Christ. And for that they stand out, this subversive new religion that is growing like Topsy. And is beginning to threaten the kind of status quo for these comfortable, complacent Jews. Or for those, these citizens who've kind of compromised with the Roman Empire. Ooh, we, we don't want these guys here, maybe not paying the tax, worshipping in different ways, decrying the, the, the kind of traditions of the temple. The, these guys are going to upset the apple cart. We don't like them. And so the Christians in Smyrna were persecuted. I know about, verse 9, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what, they're about to, about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful. And there's plenty of evidence that the early church in Smyrna were faithful to Jesus Christ. Of course, in one sense, we shouldn't be surprised. Paul wrote to Timothy, the second letter, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. If we stand up for Jesus and stand out for Jesus, we should expect persecution in some way, shape or form. Flip it around. If you have been living for Jesus for weeks, months, years, and you've not experienced any kind of persecution, you don't appear to stand out in any way amongst your peers or contemporaries, question, implicit, are you really living for Jesus? How crucial, how vital, how important is he to you? All who wish to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus himself, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you. It's a good thing. It's kind of, it, this is how it is in the kingdom of heaven as we seek to live it on earth. Of course it will, it will mesh with the kingdom of the earth. Blessed are you when you, you, you clash for your reward, verse 12, will be in heaven. We're aliens and strangers here, really. We're just borrowing time here. Our citizenship, our real home, heaven. So all the while we're here, albeit in a prosperous little seaport, nice two up, two down on the seafront, beautiful views, all of that, Short term. You should expect to clash with it if you know your real home is heaven, if you know your real Lord is Jesus. Blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil against you, when they persecute you because of me. Key just on that, because of me, because of Jesus. Not blessed are you 
if you're persecuted because actually you've been a bit of a prat, then, you know, with all due respect, you had it coming. Learn from it. But blessed are you if you are persecuted because of Jesus. Because we follow in his footsteps. What did the prophet Isaiah say? 53, 52, 53, the suffering servant. He was despised. He was familiar with suffering. We esteemed him not. This is Jesus. God in human form as he walked this earth. He was persecuted. He was vilified. And if we walk with him, we should expect exactly the same and no less. For authentic Christianity. Hence, Jesus, through the angel, to this church, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you're rich. You're rich in real terms. You're rich in kingdom terms. You're rich because Jesus says, I know. I know. I've lived this life on earth. I've walked where you walk. I've breathed the air you breathe. I know what you're going through. He knows. And if the God of the universe, who is described here as the first and the last, in other words, before all things and after all things, the eternal God, who is kind of over and above our finite time here, if the, if the eternal God, who has nevertheless left eternity to walk and live amongst us, says, I know, then he, he knows. In the ups and downs of our existence, in the highs and the lows, he knows. He understands. He has incarnated every aspect of our life and experience. So what are the, the persecutions, the afflictions, the tests, the trials, the sorrows, the shattered dreams, the, the heartaches, the, the, the sidelining, the besmirching, the insinuations that you and I, probably more you than I, to be honest, go through and face on a day by day or week by week or month by month basis that he doesn't know I know your afflictions I know what you're going through so what does he say to the church in Smyrna what is God saying by his spirit to us as we go through testing times tough times end of verse 10 bottom of the page be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I've touched a little bit on the attribute of Jesus, the first and the last, the eternal God present with us, transcendent yet imminent through the ministry of the Spirit. And here we touch a little bit on the promise. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And then again, verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who are victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Those who are victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, again, sort of weird stuff here. What's, what's the second death? What does uh, the angel and Jesus through the angel, what does he mean by that? He's picking up actually on what had in uh, contemporary times there have been, it's sort of come to be used as a, as a sort of Jewish proverb, a kind of little soundbite, if you like. 
Um, the Jews, indeed all of us, we recognize that we face death in a physical sense. We won't always live as we do now. The issue with everyone, that's, that's common human experience. Everyone will die. The issue is what happens after we die. And Jewish belief was then you, you were weighed up, judgment, it's kind of Christian belief too. You, you, were, you were kind of weighed up and uh, according to the eternal judge of all the earth, will we live forever, join the first and the last, and live eternally or not? So it's that second assessment, that second death that is crucial or final. We'll all go through the first death. The question is the second death. Will we pass through that? Or will that prove final and fatal for us? And these pious Jews said, they'd say, yeah, we all, we all recognize we'll die, but you will face the second death. And Jesus says here, to those who are victorious, to those who have the victor's crown, verse 10, and those who are victorious, verse 11, will not be hurt at all by the second death, will pass through that second death, will live Jesus' risen life forever. The shorthand there in the uh, those who are victorious, it's shorthand for those who are victorious in Jesus Christ. Our assurance of life through death, the first death if you like, our, our physical death, mortal death here on earth, life through that is assured in Jesus Christ who himself died and rose again. Do you see that attribute again in verse 8? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. As, as, we, as we hold to Jesus, as we cling to Jesus and he clings to us, we, we pass through first death and through second death. We will not be hurt by second death as we hold to Jesus. And that is what we're called to be faithful in. These Christians back then in Smyrna were called to be faithful to what God has done in Christ. And as we hold on to Christ, we will pass through whatever persecution, suffering, affliction we may experience here on earth. Do you notice in this letter, and again, if you, if you sort of flick through or skim through all the letters, and as we go through the series, you'll, it'll become apparent, there's no word of judgment to Smyrna. Smyrna and Philadelphia, the only two churches where there's no word of judgment. In all the others, Jesus says, I commend this, I like this, well done here, but I hold this against you. And there's a charge. There's no charge to the Christians in Smyrna. They, it would appear, remained faithful or faithful enough to Jesus Christ that their lampstand was not removed. It's really interesting. Uh, Smyrna is now, it's in sort of Western Turkey in, uh, in today. Uh, today's world and uh, it's, it's Smyrna is no longer called Smyrna it's, it's a western Turkish town called Izmir and although the region and the area is largely Islamic there is a Christian church still in Izmir in other words Jesus when he walks through the lampstands and as we saw with Ephesus and we'll see with the others sadly some of those lampstands they're snuffed out he takes away the lampstand the church no longer exists Unthinkable for Ephesus, actually. Third, fourth biggest city in the known world then, in the Roman Empire. Huge, thriving church. 
complacent assumption that it will ever be. No church. And yet here in Smyrna, which we kind of haven't quite heard of in quite the same way, it's in Ephesus' shadow in some respects. And there is still flickering at times, but there's still Christian witness today. They were faithful. They were faithful. Question is, will we be? How? How are we faithful in tough times? How do we stay true to Jesus? Even to the point of death. And, and let's be honest guys, brothers and sisters around the world, this is very real. There are brothers and sisters, thousands and thousands, millions of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ for whom death, the first death, physical death, is a very real possibility. For us, I'm not denying that we don't go through tough times, testing times, psychological. Pat was preaching this morning on just, just how busy we are in, and distracted we are. And that in itself is a kind of persecution and a torment on us. But we have it pretty easy, let's be honest. Part of the challenge, the implicit challenge of this letter is trying to preach and apply this to us when we have so much. To the point of death, really? But how? Even when we feel ourselves going through tough times, how do we stay true to Jesus Christ? I think it is actually that we should in some way, shape or form expect, look for and prepare for tough times, persecution, difficulty. This is the, this is the Bible I had uh, when I was at university and the, there was... The, president of the Christian Union at uh, university when I, when I was there, he gave me a, um, a poem. He was a lovely guy called Phil Douthwaite. He came from Leeds and he had this sort of really thick northern accent. At times it was really difficult to understand what he was saying. <laughs> and uh, he said, Tim, I've got, I've got you this poem. I'd, I'd love you to read it. I don't know. It's probably language. I don't know what accent that is actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I cut it out and I stuck it in the back of my Bible then and I don't know... Um, I'm sure I could Google it and find out who wrote this, but this is what this poem says. It's, it's one of those things that kind of, it just sat with me. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them praise thy bright ascending star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the soldiers sent to lean me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me I swooned. Hast thou no wound, no wound, nor scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? who has no wound, nor stagar. How do we ready ourselves to embrace scars and wounds for Jesus? To, to, to live within affliction and testing and trial, such that we can be faithful 
and wear the victor's crown, like these Christians in Smyrna, so that we can continue the light of Christian witness, that the gospel will continue to shine in this area, in this land, in your office, in your home, in your gym, or on the ski slopes, or wherever you find yourself called and used by God. How? How will I have scar and wound and victory? And I think the answer lies in either realizing or reminding ourselves that actually we've already faced the first death, spiritually speaking. For those of you who were baptized, and particularly because it's graphic this way, any here baptized by full immersion, probably not as a, as a child. Uh, I often baptize children here, we had a little font, I sort of sprinkle a few drops of water. The water is only symbolic, but uh, if it's by full immersion as an adult, then often in a pool and uh, with the help of the minister and uh, others, you, uh, part of the baptism is, is to be lowered down under the water, you take a deep breath, hold your nose, and you're under the water, it's kind of a, a graphic demonstration of, of literally being drowned, the water is drowning you. I am dying to myself. Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ and I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. It's a graphic thing, there's a big splosh of water, there's normally sort of cheering of friends and family, there's a sort of splosh down, death. There's a whoosha rising. Resurrection. Read Romans 6. It's, it's, it's all there. Paul talks about baptism being the, the kind of visual aid of what Jesus has done. He's died and raised again. And we are in Christ. It's the only way to live. In Christ. Where he goes, I go. You want to catch a plane to go to another. What's the best way of getting from A to B um, via a plane? It, you, you could watch the plane go and, and wish that you were on it, but that won't get you there. You, you, could, you could kind of hang on to the undercarriage and sort of swing here, and well, good luck with that. The best way, if you want to get from A to B, is to be in the plane. And then whenever the plane goes, you go. If it flies, you fly. If it lands, you land. In Christ, it's the same thing. So you, you die with him. And then you are raised with him. It's a slightly unpastoral minister who leaves you in the water. <laughs> raised to new life. Wash, the water sort of dripping off. Often baptismal cadets wear white. It's symbolic of, of the cleansing and the new life that comes. How can I... Embrace affliction. How can I embrace whatever this world throws at me? Because I've actually died to this world. It, it, it kind of, in one sense, it washes off. I don't want to minimize some of the really hurtful things that we can experience. Uh, abuse in all sorts of different ways that tragically can just statistically, numerically, there'll be people here who've suffered horrendous things. I'm, I don't want to belittle that or undermine that in any way. I'm just saying there is... Jesus promises victory through it. 
Not avoidance of it, not denial of it, not pushing it down and pretending it didn't happen. Actually, the courage, this is part of the scar, part of the wounding, to acknowledge that it did happen, that it is happening, but I have a greater power who can help me walk through it, overcome it, be healed by it, be victorious. So even if I walk near to the point of death, I can know Jesus' victory. So we live it. I was uh, talking with Joe the other day. We were just discussing the verse, um, quite well known, John, uh, Jesus in John's Gospel. Uh, John 10, verse 10, I have come. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And uh, this is one of those verses where we can maybe have a slightly lazy interpretation of what that means. We, again, we may be back to our ideal or the life in all its fullness is when everything's going well. You know, it's, it's life, but great life. Uh, I, you know, I've got the kind of the, the perfect tan and the perfect beach holiday or the, or the bank account is full or the, it all is well with the family and the kids. My work is sort of swimming. My CV is burgeoning. Life in all its fullness. But let's, let's be honest. Every single one of us, we know that's an unrealistic view of life. Life isn't always like that. There are just the mundane days and the dull days and the down days and worse. And the thing is, when we think about Jesus, he didn't just have the high life. We, we sometimes sort of think, oh, Jesus on the cross, and that didn't hurt. It wasn't really an ouchie. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and that's just in the physical sense. He was separated from the Father for the very first time. He was in agony as a human being. He'd been deserted by his friends. He wept over Jerusalem. Do you not think he was cut by the fact that none of his disciples were there? How do you think he felt? Afflicted. Tough times, persecuted. He's been there. I've come that you may have life, the life that I had, the good things and the bad things and everything in between. The whole of life. But wherever you are in life, in me, you can have it in its fullness. You can know what it is to wear the victor's crown through depression. You can know what it is to wear the victor's crown through sorrow through heartache, through disappointment, through frustration. You can know what it is to wear the victor's crown when the boss is slapping you down or when your contemporaries at work are giving you a hard time. When standing up and standing out for Jesus is tough, you can know life, even then, in all its fullness. The victor's crown, even to the point of death, Born out in history. One of the most famous um, of the early Christian leaders was a, a Christian leader. He became a bishop called Polycarp, and he was Bishop of Smyrna. And again, you can Google him and uh, find out about him. He was martyred in 155 AD. And there are all sorts of stories um, around his martyrdom because he was a well-known figure. He was 86, and he'd been a Christian pretty much all his life. He was, uh, in, they implored him to recant uh, before the, the, the sort of mob seized him as part of the kind of persecutions going on in Smyrna. So a number of other, ten others were killed, I think, at the same time that he was, rounded up and, and uh, some were fed to, just thrown to wild animals. Um, and he was put on a, on a kind of um, bonfire and, and, and effectively burnt at the stake. And they implored him to recant. And he said, uh, for four score years and six 
86 years, I have loved and served my Lord and Saviour, and he has resourced and loved me. I'm not about to renounce him now. The story is told that um, some people sort of gathered around as they, they're lighting the fire and everything to pin him to the, they kind of had a sort of stake, to kind of pin him to the stake. They came as a hammer and nails. And he said, look, <laughs> sort of, I don't know whether he was a British gentleman, he said, look, that really won't be necessary. He said, God, God has sustained me through all these trials. He will, he'll keep me to the state now. You, you don't, don't wait. He was really, really thoughtful. You don't need to waste your time. Save the nails for someone else. I, I, I'm quite happy to stand here. I'm quite happy to... Because, you, you, again, I, I know I've said this in another sermon, but you, you could take his life. But you could, sorry, you could kill him, but you can't take his life. Because he, he's already died, and he's alive in Christ. He knows he's standing by this promise. Jesus has promised that you will not be hurt at all at the second death. That's why he can stand around his funeral pile and they can light the matches. And he stands by that promise. What, what have I got to lose that compares with what I'm about to gain? And when you have that worldview, extreme, I grant you, but when you have that worldview, when you have that perspective, when you don't conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, washing it with scripture, you can live. You can live. Because the comments and the taunts and the difficulties get into some kind of perspective in the light of what Jesus brings. The victor's crown. Final thing. Odd little thing. No one quite knows how to interpret this. I don't know whether it struck you as we, we read it. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What do we make of that? Does that mean, um, kind of, they round me up, chuck me in a prison on Sunday, or Wednesday week, I should be okay? And to be honest, um, the commentators aren't quite sure. What to make of that? Is it literally 10 days? Is it it's kind of figurative, a period? Here's what I take from this. And again, I just offer it. I may be, this may be right or wrong. You know, this is, for, this is why it's great to be in a life group, by the way. There's one that meets on Monday. Most of them meet on Tuesday. This is where we can bat this around. What do you think? 10 days, what do you think that means? Let's ask the Lord together. How does this feed us? How does this help us? How does this shape our worldview? Here's what I think. Ten days is, it's, it's a package, it's a limited time. It has a beginning and an end. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In other words, within the context of eternity, within the context of this not being hurt through the second death, can you, can you take whatever it is for a finite period of time? Ten days, ten weeks, ten months, ten years. It's limited. It will finish. Jesus' last words, in his ultimate agony, it is finished. And with that, he conquers death. Death no longer has a hold on him. <laughs> it's quipped, you know, you go to these tombstones and you see, here lies so-and-so, here lies so-and-so, here lies so-and-so. And you go to the tomb where Jesus Christ was laid, and the stone is rolled away and it's empty, and above, here lies death. Forever beaten, forever smashed. 
So for a time, for a season that will end. And Jesus promises to those who are faithful, to those who are victorious, you will wear the crown of life. There are all sorts of plays on word here, just briefly, Smyrna, uh, from the sea, if you were coming into port, and uh, just, as I say, nestling in, it was, the mount was called Pagos, and it sort of nestled in the foothills, and they had these kind of porticos, just, just on one level up, just to, as it's going up the mountain, these um, kind of gleaming white um, towers, if you like, and as you came in from the sea, it looked like, particularly the sun was setting, and sun shining on it, it looked like a crown. In, in other translations, it says, I will give you the crown of life. And, and within Smyrna, where there's persecution, where there's affliction, there's also this crown, almost as a visual aid. <laughs> I can see you, I know, I know, even amid the affliction, it's just 10 days, it's just a period. You've already died through your baptism in Christ. And to him who overcomes, to she who overcomes, you will not be hurt by the second death. This is the message to the church in Smyrna. This is the message of Jesus to us today. To those of us who are in Christ, who is the first and the last, the eternal. He's above all these. Who died and came back to life. This is the message to us. That if we overcome, we will not be hurt by the second death. We will not be separated from God. We can begin to live God's life now. And he invites us to do that. Even through our affliction. Even through our testing. Even through persecution. Even when they slander us. Maybe even especially when. So that we demonstrate his life living in and through us.